Was that, was that Hillsong? Was it, I, think that's, I think it was Bethel. Bethel, yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, hey, welcome. I am your homeless preacher for the week. Uh, we uh, got in our vehicles in Omaha on Thursday and got out here uh, in Columbus on Friday. And our, uh, yeah. Our, our kids' first day of school pictures will be in front of the Holiday Inn on Monday, so it'll be a very unique story that they will remember and that we will have a lot of fun with, but we're excited to be here, and uh, that's just, it was a lot of fun because that song, uh, Who Are You by The Who, of course, uh, was one of our favorite songs. Of course, Kristen was living in Vegas when we met and we watched a lot of CSI Las Vegas together, which that was the theme song. In fact, that was even the song that we walked out to at our wedding, which being that we had a, what, an eight-month relationship before we got married, uh, we were still asking that, who are you, you know, when we got married. Um, but uh, so we, we were introduced virtually to each other, Kristen and I were, for the first time in January of 2005, we met for the first time in February and were engaged by April. She moved from Vegas back to rural Illinois, which was a trip uh, in July, and we were married in October of 2005. It was a whirlwind of nine months, and we often tell people, we don't recommend this in most situations. After all, I was 26 and she was, well, not 26. Uh, and so, how did everything work out well for us? We're going on 15 years of marriage this fall. We'll be celebrating in October um, by taking a trip to absolutely nowhere because there's this thing called a pandemic on. Um, but how did we do it? And to me, it really all goes back to the first conversation we had on the phone. Well, technically, the second conversation we had on the phone, the first conversation we had was actually she called me while she was at the motocross on ice uh, at the Orleans Arena, which I'll be honest with you, I couldn't hear her uh, over the motorcycles, but something in me told me that 10-second conversation that if she's at the motocross on ice, you want to marry this girl, all right? This is, this is a good sign. But that second conversation we had the next day lasted over three hours, and that was before we had free nights and weekends on AT&T. This was a major commitment. Near the end of the conversation, uh, after we just knew we were hitting it off, I just said, hey, Kristen, here's the scoop. I'm not interested in a long-term, long-distance relationship. If this is going to happen between you and I, like, it's going to happen quick. Are you okay with that? And she was like, yeah, I really am. <laughs> and it was interesting because the next part of the conversation we had about that, I said, okay, there's some things that we need to discuss then. And we started talking about what's, what's your view of marriage? Well, you know, our parents had been together, her parents had been together uh, over, right around 40 years at the time. My parents had been together around 30 years at the time. We said, like, that's essential. Like, it's, it's, you're going to have tough times, and you've got to choose to work through it. It's a covenant. There's going to be times where you don't get something in return from your spouse, and you've got to hang in there, and you've got to stick through it. And, and we agreed to those things. And, and at the end of the day, we hung up the phone, pretty convinced, both of us, that this was the person we were going to marry, that we were going to marry each other. We didn't know how it was all going to work out, but we knew who 
we were investing in. We knew that we had a a common uh, morality. We had a common vision for our life. We had common values. And because we had the who, we knew that the how would work out. And I think that's important for us to recognize. I mean, Kristen had a whole list of 15 different qualities that she expected her husband to meet. I met 14 of those 15 qualities on the list. According to her, the tall, handsome part, that's subjective for her opinion. Um, But the only one I did not meet was I was not a good cook in the kitchen, which is a good thing. Otherwise, if we were both great cooks, uh, I would be at least 400 pounds by now. Um, but but that, that's, at, the, at the end of the day, it, it wasn't about how, it was about who. Church, what would happen if we took that same attitude towards our walk with God? Because my guess is, is that right now, so many of us are overwhelmed by the how. As we live between trapezes, We're asking those questions. How am I going to get through this rough spot in my relationship or in my marriage? How am I going to find what I'm supposed to be doing with my life? How am I going to overcome this sickness that has come upon me or upon a beloved family member? How, 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 how? What if we were to ask us, who are we going to trust through this instead? God doesn't mind being asked the hows. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with asking God how. But what we need to understand is that God rarely answers our how questions with a how answer. God almost always answers our how question with a who answer. Trust me, is what he says. He doesn't reject our house because he is our father. But like his children, who, like, like children who often come with their hands out wanting something, do you ever have children do that to you? Yeah. Like, we know that we just can't give our kids what they're asking for all the time because that wouldn't build their character. And in the same way, we don't simply have a God who wants to give us our every desire at the moment we come running for it. Because He knows better than to spoil you. Wouldn't it be great if you could be like one, God's one spoiled kid? Like that, but, but, but he doesn't do that because he loves you too much to do it. And so God wants so much more for you than just getting you through the trial. Do you believe that? God, God doesn't just want to get you through the trial. He wants to do more than get you through the trial. He wants you to grow in your trust and your knowledge of him through this trial. God doesn't want to waste this trial and just show up at the end and get you through, but rather He wants to use this trial to form you to become more like His Son, Jesus. And today we're going to take a look, if you have your Bibles with you, if not, it'll be up on the screen, at this famous passage of Scripture that we all know is John 14, 6. 
And I think most of us know that. Uh, in fact, Scott even slipped up and, and said it up here at the communion meditation. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and oftentimes we think of that as an evangelistic scripture. Uh, and that makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's, it's a great evangelistic scripture. It's a great scripture to share with people who are trying to understand who Jesus is. But what we have to understand is that this scripture in its original context was not shared with people who were not followers of Jesus, but rather with the people who had been following him for a couple of years already. And maybe you need to be reminded of this who again today. Maybe you need to be reminded of this again and to understand that Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life is not just something to bring you to faith. It's something that keeps you going in your faith. And so here's what's happened in this text already. There in the upper room, uh, in John's Gospel, we read that Jesus uh, knelt down and washed their feet, even Judas's feet, which always blows me away. And in the middle of washing their feet, he then starts to have a conversation with them. And he talks about how um, basically he's going to die and they're all going to fall away. And of course, Peter opens up his mouth and says, never, Lord, never. You know, I'm, I'm never going to let this happen. I would die for you. And, and Jesus is like, hey, you know how like roosters wake up really early in the morning and make that annoying sound like before you even hear a rooster wake up this morning. You're going to deny me three times. And everybody's head is spinning in the room like they're like Peter like this this doesn't make sense Peter Peter's like he's got like a sword on his side like he's he's ready to go here Jesus and they don't get it and so it's in this context of uncertainty where Jesus is about to be arrested and, and crucified here in like 12 hours time that Jesus shares this passage here's what he says don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. He goes on, I will come again and take you to myself so that you may be also, uh, where I am, you may be also, you know the way to where I am going. And even as we hear that text, and I've already talked to you about the who instead of the how, normally when we read this text, we have more how questions than who questions, don't we? Just look at that text. How do we not let our hearts be troubled? Has anybody asked a similar question to that these past six months or so? How do we do that? It's like when Jesus says, do not worry. You're like, okay, great. Like, but how? How is Jesus going to build a place for us? Or, or what is it going to be like? We ask that how question too, don't we? How are we going to get there in the, in the, in the first place? And, and all these how questions, it, it's human nature. Listen to what Thomas, remember Thomas? Doubting Thomas? Listen to what he says. He says, Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
God, you haven't told us where you're going. How can we even find it on the map? Okay? And he's asking this how question. You know, maybe, maybe instead of calling him Doubting Thomas, we should call him Howling Thomas. It's not so much that he's doubting in this passage, it's that he's howling. And maybe you need to be reminded of that today as well. Are you having a spell where you are being a howling Thomas? Where you are stuck in the howl? When you're between trapezes and struggling to let go of one to take care of, hold of the next, you're asking the question, how, 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 how? And Jesus does not answer it the way you would want him to. He answers it the way you and I need him to. Listen to how he responds. Lord Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And in 14.6, Jesus told him. I like this. It says that Jesus told him. He didn't just tell them. He was speaking to Thomas. And I'm speaking to all y'all this morning. But maybe I need to speak to just you and remind you of this who answer that Jesus gives. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what I want to suggest to you today. That when we trust who Jesus is, we can let go of the hows that hold us back. When we trust that He is indeed the way, the truth, and the life, that He is the author and perfecter of our faith, the One who has gone before us and carrying His cross of Calvary for your sins and for mine, when we trust in the who, we can finally let go of the how. Because if He loved us enough to die for us on the cross, don't you think He's got the how figured out too? When we trust who Jesus is, we can let go of the hows that hold us back. As a part of this, there's a couple of points of application that I want to make today. The first is this. God is more focused on the who than the how. Did you hear that? God is more focused on the who than the how. Now, now hear me out. He's got the how too, okay? But he, more than anything else, wants you to know that he's got you. Our friend Bill Huschauer, he's the pastor who performed our wedding ceremony. Uh, he was a pastor in Vegas for many years. He still lives there. He's a great friend. And this past year, um, he and his wife were both going through tremendous health uncertainties. You know, that time before you get the news back from the doctor. Except it wasn't just him waiting, it was him and her both waiting on news at the same time. And he said uh, while he was praying one day, 
he kept being reminded, God's got this. God's got this. God's got this. And he felt a gentle rebuke from God while he was praying. You ever feel that rebuke from God? And he said it felt like God was saying to them, no, Bill, it's not that I have this. It's that I have you. Man. Do you need to hear that today? Do you need to be reminded that it's not about God having this problem or that issue in front of you? But more importantly, it's that God's got you. God is more more focused on the who than the how. God wants you to know that you are loved, that you are his child, each and every one of you. None of you are his favorites because we're all his favorites. He's got you. And can I just say that in this moment in our cultural history, we as the church need to make sure we're focusing on the who more than we're focusing on the how. And I say this as as a white person who grew up in a town of 1,250 people, 1,249 of them were were fair-skinned like me. I'm not convinced we're showing our black brothers and sisters that we're more concerned about the who than the how. I think more than anything else, we need to be reaching out to people of color in our country and letting them know that they are loved. That it's not about coming up with all the right answers right now. It's about building trust where trust has been broken. Because if we're going to get through this, it's not because somebody's going to have some really cute meme on social media that everybody's going to go, oh, well, duh, of course. If we're going to get through this this time in our country's history, it's not going to be politicians that figure it out. It's going to be Christians who live sacrificially and step across party aisles, who step across race and make sure that people know that they are absolutely loved, first and foremost. Is that not what God did for us? I mean, is that not the passage in Romans that said, while we were sinners, Christ died for us? That's how we are to live as Christians, is sacrificially letting people know that they, we are more concerned with the who, who they are, than the how. God is more focused on the who than the how. God wants you to know this morning, not just that he's got this, but that he's got you. I'm running a little short on time. I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead a little bit to this passage here. The last scripture I have for you today is John 14, 12, a little bit later in the text. Here's what it says. Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Now I'm going to tell you that I get stumbled up on the how in this passage all the time. What, Jesus? What did you just say? How are we going to do greater things than what you did? And I'm not going to spend time trying to explain it today, but simply 
to remind you of this. They're all trying to figure out how they're going to get through the trial. And Jesus is saying, look at the future that I have for you. Is this not what happened in Jeremiah 29, 11, that passage we love to talk about? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. The whole about, you know, the plans to prosper you and to give you a future and hope and all that good stuff. Like, like, that's wonderful, but what we don't realize is that was actually spoken before they went into the trial, before they went into exile. And in the midst of the trial, God wants you to know something as well, that He's not just focused on getting you through the trial, He is focused on what He's going to call you to. So while we are worried about how we are going to get through, God is focused on what He is calling us to. And will you recognize today that God is not going to waste this trial, but He is going to raise up your faith through this trial so that you can be a bigger, bolder witness for Him in the future. Because when you focus on the who, when you see it's the who that's got you through, you know that He's been taking you to something as well. He's taking you to something so that you can be a bolder witness a more effective witness than what you have been before. Amen? All right. Closing story. So, Kristen and I, um, she was back on April 11th of 2005 in Illinois. Uh, and we had about a two and a half hour trip up to the airport in Chicago so she could board a plane back to Chicago. Or, excuse me, back to Vegas. And uh, we knew that we had pretty much burnt all of our vacation time. Let's be honest, when a preacher makes a couple trips to Vegas in a couple of months, people in the church start asking questions, right? She had burnt up her vacation time coming back, and she knew she wouldn't see me for a while. And so about a half hour out from the airport, Kristen started to get real, real quiet. And she was looking out the side window of the car, and I, I was kind of eyeing her while I was eyeing the road and doing one of these numbers. And finally, I saw that there was a tear start to run down the corner of her eye. And so I did what every male would do in that situation. I laughed at her. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I, I was laughing because I knew something that she didn't know. I knew that on Thursday, I was getting on an airplane and I was flying out to surprise her and to propose to her. And she didn't know that yet. And that was probably a bad thing because I dug myself a pretty deep hole when I laughed at her. In fact, the bruise that I had on my right arm right here from laughing at her just healed last week. It's been wonderful. It's been great. But I said, I said hey, let me, let, let me make it up to you. Let's on Thursday do a phone date, okay? And I'm, I'm going to send you some things in the mail for your phone date. Because she had to work that day. I knew she had about a half hour drive to and from work. Uh, and so, uh, so I sent her the CDs, uh, you know, like Next Day Air. And like this was the coolest thing. Because back in 2005, if you had a CD burner, like a CD recorder, that was like high tech back then, right? You know, just make sure they don't scratch. That's the biggest thing. And so I sent her these CDs with like songs, it looked like these interspersed messages that were cheesy as all get out. If you ever get a hold of these, that I, will, I will pay any amount of money to get them back so they don't get spread. They were so cheesy. But I had them for her drive to work, and on her way home from work, she was supposed to call me as soon as she left the hospital. It was 35 minutes. I had timed this CD perfectly for 35 minutes. She had no clue 
that I was going to be waiting around the corner at the gas station. And as soon as she called, that that set the next order of things in motion for the proposal. And so as I'm sitting there, 30 minutes pass, 35 minutes pass, 40 minutes pass, no call from Kristen. I'm thinking maybe traffic was bad. 45 minutes pass, I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Is she okay? 50 minutes pass, 55 minutes pass. Finally, I call her. Are you okay? What is going on? You were supposed to call it 35 minutes. And I can tell she's upset. Something's happened. And I was like, oh, Lord, please don't tell me she got in a crash or something like that. And she said, I'm okay, but my garage door fell off the tracks when I went to close it. And then she said something that was the greatest temptation that I truly have ever had in my life. She said, I just wish you were here to fix it for me. And right then, there was so much of me that said, wanted to say, okay, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> but that would have blown the plan for what I had later on. In order to get her out of that trial, I would have blown what I had planned. And so I talked her into it. Hey, your neighbor George, you know he'll fix it for you. Um, you know, like, just, why don't we just continue on with this phone date? And so I got her to agree just to leave the, the jankety old garage door up there and just to go in the house and finish off the phone date where I read her a poem called uh, Thursday and Forever After, which was about the first time we met in person. Uh, and I used that to get to her door so that it was ready for the next poem that I wrote for her. Uh, poems, it's cheesy, but it worked. Um, <laughs> called Friday and Forever After. And I went to talk to her about, um, she knew that I was going to ask her, it wasn't if, but when. She just didn't know how it was going to happen. And so I went on in this poem and read through all of my backup plans that I had for proposals, because let's face it, guys, you've got to come up with more than one plan, right? I had all these backup plans I read to her. Will it be this way? Will he do it this way? Will he do it this way? And then at the end, I said, just as her heart can't beat any harder in anticipation, her heart skips a beat when she hears the doorbell ring. And at that moment, I reached up to ring the doorbell, and the neighbor's dog barked at me. And you know how cell phones were back in 2005. She heard the dog bark through the wall first and then slightly delayed through the phone. And she said, you're here. And so there I was on her front step bracing myself, knowing I was going to get tackled out into the yard, right? Knowing that this was what was coming. And once again, I waited and I waited <laughs> and I waited. And after about, uh, about a minute, I, I realized, you know, these are track houses. They all look the same. Am I at the right house? <laughs> and, and so I walk down, I walk out to the yard and, you know, look at the address and, and the jankety garage door. Yeah, this, unless they, all the garage doors fell off the tracks today, this is the right house. And finally, Kristen comes to the door. But she didn't come to the door, she crawled to the door. And as she answers the door, she's laying down on her face, sobbing, as she opens the door, looking up at me like a puppy dog, like, I can't believe you're here. 
And we had to have this difficult conversation at this moment. Kristen, you, you have to get up. I'm a traditionalist. Like, I can't look down at you and be like, hey, you want to get married? Like, that, that's not how it works. Like, I have to be down on a knee. You have to get up. And so after a couple of minutes, she finally stood up, and I was able to get down on a knee and propose to her. She did not say yes. She said, of course I will. And then, and then we prayed. Uh, we committed ourselves to God after she put that ring on her finger. And then we danced one last song on the CD, Nora Jones. And then do you know what I did next? I went and fixed her garage door for her. <laughs> Church, I want to ask you a question. Are you so concerned with the broken garage door in your life? that you have forgotten that God is right around the corner waiting for you. Not to give you the answers that you need, but to give you the God that you need. And all of this talk about how. Don't you forget about the who. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we come to you with, with grateful hearts that you have not forgotten us. We recognize that in this hour of our need, in this hour of trial, in this time of uncertainty that we have that is called 2020, that more than ever we need to focus on the who. That more than ever we need to focus on you and our identity in you, not in what you can do for us, but that who you are to us, that you are the God who saves us, that you are the God who redeems us, you are the God who restores us, you are the God who puts our life back together and calls us to a purpose in this world. And so we trust in you, the who. We trust in you, the one who has died for us, the one who rose again from the dead the one who is returning again, the one who has entrusted us with the Holy Spirit. We love you because you first loved us. In Christ's name, amen.